I really see space as the extension of this canvas that all companies operate on, all CIOs operate on. And I truly believe that every company will be a space company. All organizations will absolutely have to understand, leverage, and operate in space. Welcome to the CIO Exchange Podcast, where we talk about what's working, what's not, and what's next. I'm Eden Porter de Leon. We all, maybe unwittingly, are consumers of space. And our guest today, Elizabeth Varghese, partner, principal, space economy acceleration leader at Deloitte, contends that every company will be a space company. In this conversation, we cover the future of the spacefaring economy and the ways that space technologies have already impacted businesses here on Earth, and will continue to do so. As a futurist, Elizabeth outlines trends she is seeing and what she anticipates moving forward, offering key advice to CIOs as they think about how space will transform their companies and gain inspiration from space exploration. Elizabeth, you're a futurist, and your recent book, Stellar Singularity, Navigating the Space-Faring Economy, is about what business leaders need to know to navigate the future of space exploration. Can you describe what you think the space age will look like? Sure. Thank you, Yadin. So I believe that we are entering a very interesting and exciting phase of human history, which I call stellar singularity, or really the spacefaring age. And it's an era of, of the global economy where spacefaring countries, organizations and technologies and, and life in business all really operate together or across this cosmic landscape. Uh, and a good analogy to, you know, think about how we're already experiencing some of that is through, you know, what we see as the internet economy. So when you think about maybe 10, 20 years ago, many companies were brick and mortar, and then they started setting up their internet versions, right? So you had the dot-com versions of the organizations or the companies. Eventually, there was this convergence where a bookseller or a retailer, they weren't two separate entities. They became one because the internet was fueling and supporting the commerce and the way the business was operating. Click and break. Yes, exactly, right? So I think that's where we really are with the space economy. And the interesting thing is that we've actually been in this era for a while now, for a few decades. It's just not as conscious as visible to many of us who work in the corporate world. Um, but as we're going to be harnessing more technology, I really see space as the extension of this canvas that all companies operate on, all CIOs operate on. And um, I truly believe that every company will be a space company. All organizations will absolutely have to understand, leverage, and operate in space. And all the business that we do, all the technology that we operate is going to be really at the scale that transcends terrestrial boundaries. This is fascinating. Now, this is really fascinating because you were talking about, okay, we we're brick and mortar, then we moved online, but now companies need to move to space. Now, that's two things. One, it's fascinating, but also, how do you even wrap your head around this as a technology leader, as a business leader, even as just an individual contributor? We need to be able to operate in space. And I'll, we'll connect this back, of course, to CIOs and the audience and technology. But I feel like right now we're just, let's explore this idea that every company needs to be able to operate in space. What Dig a little bit deeper. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so, you know, the, the truth is that space and technology applied in space has already transformed businesses, right? So there's a very large retailer who 
1987 had its own satellite fleet. And that was pivotal to how they managed data, how they transferred data about individual SKUs, stock keeping units, and transform their supply chain, right? So there are companies that have been doing this for a while. And this is not just the companies that we know as space companies, the ones that are launching rockets or the space agency. These are regular retailers who've been using satellites to process data. So that's, that's happening. Satellite, I think this is what when people can start to get, you know, telecommunications, an easy way for people to get their head around, okay, we need to be able to be spacefaring yes. from a data perspective. I think that's that people can really sort of grab onto and hold on to. So that's that's the easy one, right? Because that's the industry that that's what they do for a living or they're launching and getting satellites off the ground. Now, related to that, obviously, you know, we're going to see launches becoming part of infrastructure like airports and they're going to be like seaports or railways, right? So the infrastructure around getting something into space is another area where we're going to see lots of this transformation and how infrastructure will transform. But even organizations that operate in very different fields like pharmaceuticals or insurance companies, they're going to see their business models transformed by the application of space technology. So we're seeing, you know, lots of organizations are looking at testing how materials react in microgravity. So when you look at your constructing, doing material science, you're constructing objects or any kind of widget, how they operate in microgravity, which is the correct term. We don't say zero gravity, we say microgravity. That is something that is becoming of increasing interest. The way drug molecules can be researched or biologics can be developed. Can I dig into that one like really, really quickly too? Just from the biology standpoint too, there's been a ton of work done in microgravity. Pharmaceutical companies need to be able to understand how things work so that when they're someone is taking something and they go to space, they understand how it's working there. It's just fascinating because most people, and when I say people, let's say most professionals, technology leaders, usually they're thinking, like you said, terrestrial there. Does this work in this environment? We understand what gravity is right here on the surface of the Earth. Slightly different scenarios where something's maybe in a plane, going at certain speeds, maybe something's on a mountaintop. Those are sort of, that's the spectrum. But companies, you're saying, are now actively looking at how things operate in microgravity because it's starting to become significant for their business. That's right. That's right. And pharmaceuticals are a great example of that, right? Because physics is different in microgravity. So the forces that form a crystal molecule of a, of a drug uh, is, is different when you're developing that on a space station. You get much more um, well-ordered, better quality crystals, much more uniform, right, when they're growing in microgravity. So there are things like that that we're seeing from, a, from just from a material science perspective, whether that's metals or it's drug development. The, the other aspect is the growth of biologics in space. Again, those behave differently in space. The sedimentation, there's a whole slew of pharmaceutical science around how you can harness microgravity and the benefits of microgravity for, for biologics. So again, something that lots of companies are needing to understand. But I think what's interesting and where the, the potential lies is in leaning into that more and really understanding that technology more so we can accelerate. And right now you have lots of folks, folks like us who love the idea of space, technologists, CIOs, who, you know, we're in the room already. We're all like high-fiving each other and say, hey, this is great. We get it. All right, Elizabeth, I want the spaceports. When are spaceports coming, okay? Like you mentioned that earlier in the conversation. So when do I get to go? Because I'm going to be flying in a plane in a couple of weeks, but when is it I'm going to go to a spaceport and then go into space in a couple? When can I say that? 
You know, I think very soon, because the, the cost to get a kilogram of payload off the earth has reduced tremendously. So even before you get to spaceports, the biggest challenge was how much does it cost to get something off the earth, just into orbit? And we've seen a dramatic decline in that. You know, it's less than $100 per kilogram. And if you look at launch that's happening in countries like India, which we talk about in a little bit, so it, it's happening. So to your question, with that has come the development of private space. Ports. We're seeing, you know, individual states in the United States are building their spaceports. We saw the one in Cornwall in the UK. I know there's one happening in Nova Scotia. There are others happening in Latin America. I know there's like certain billionaires that have their own. That's well. right. Bill- and what's interesting, <laughs> and this is the fact that this is what excites me, is that the democratization of space is here. It's, you know, we're beyond when it was the purview of a few billionaires or a few nations that, you know, had well-funded space agencies. Space and space tech are now becoming more accessible to, to everybody around the world. And that comes with a tremendous amount of positivity and some guardrails we need to establish. I know there there are definitely some things there. So democratization of space, I think, is because that's happened to a few different things. I mean, we've had democratization of information through the internet. We've had democratization of now we're starting to see AI being democratized and being put in the hands of people. Now we're seeing space being democratized. So what can a CIO or technology leader or even, you know, a, a business leader in general, how can how can they be inspired by this potential future? What is the inspiration they should take from this? Even if they they don't need to test materials or biology, they're just saying, look, I want to make sure that I've got 100% uptime in my data center. I want to make sure I've got great customer experiences. What should they then be taking as inspiration even before they have to deal with microgravity materials or telecommunications in space? What should they take as just inspiration in general? Ultimately, we all have to steer meaning into this opportunity in terms of how we apply that to our jobs or our companies, right? So leaving aside, and we can get into that another time, all the different industries and the applications and pharma and insurance and, you know, all of that aside, I think what CIOs and technologists can take is really kind of understand the the four value streams of space exploration. So even without going into the depths of technology and you know anomaly detection and telemetry, you know, without having to get into any of those, if you just look at the space economy, and I write about this in my book, I classify it into four value streams. And you know, there's the primary space research, things we have to do and develop technology just to to explore space, to just get out there, right? The second is launch and logistics, everything that goes into getting things off the ground, driving design for operability and managing materials and services. The third is data and applications. Just thinking about everything we can do from a business, from an economy perspective around using the data. And then the fourth and the final would be just a direct consumer aspect of it. I mean, you and I are space consumers. We forget that, right? But we all have, you know, smartphones, right? We're all using GPS. So there's this whole aspect of how direct consumer can transform that value stream. Oh, yes. I've gotten used to that. The GPS, it's been very handy. I have to say, it's extremely handy. (laughs) I like that you're positioning us as all space consumers. It it changes perspective. You say, look, I just realized, oh, I am a space consumer. There's something floating around in space that I leverage literally every day. I have my GPS watch on. Of course, if you're listening to this, I'm showing Elizabeth on the camera. You can't see it. But I've got my GPS watch on and I'm seeing like what my run pace is. You know, it's very this day-to-day thing. Well, I was thinking of, well, would it be good one day for me to run even a portion of my data center workloads in space. I know I would save money on cooling for sure. It's very (laughs) cold in space. (laughs) And that would run really well. And then I'd have a solar panel. I'd have basically a telecommunications array. And I could say like, I'm going to run 
X percentage of my workloads in space. When is that? When are we going to have that? You know, I think edge computing is is it's here. It's here. And I think the days of when you as an individual might be able to run your own satellite and, you know, do your own data analysis, buying much that. like you buy component of memory on Apple Cloud or Google Cloud, you might be able to buy some edge computing components to, you know, manage whatever you need. You might be running your own, you know, estate or ranch or, you know, where you manage your crops or your cattle if you're in Texas and you have a ranch. So absolutely eminently possible. And I think that's the consumerization of space tech. The cost arbitrage that we're experiencing now with more and more countries and companies playing is what's going to transform it and and make it possible for you and me to have our own little, you know, component of uh, a satellite. Nice. And I can see insurance companies already getting into this too, because I just, what if my satellite smashes into your satellite and then now I can't manage my crops anymore because, you know, I've got a broken satellite. And what's the claims process? How long does that take to get me back up and running? That's what I need to know. So, yes, space law, space navigation is a whole body of work that needs collaboration for a variety of reasons. One, primarily because there's also cybersecurity and national security implications associated with how we transmit data, right? And how we allow satellites to navigate. The implications of space debris are very significant. So there is all of that. And insurance companies are, one, using satellite data, just minor segue here, to even assess claims, right? To assess, you know, the potential of flooding or the damage from flooding. All of that data Data can be captured. We have a great company I can mention called Suncorp, and Suncorp does that. They leverage that satellite data for claims, financial processing, really, really cool use cases, and they leverage AI to help you know do the analysis in real time. So I love that you're bringing this up as companies are space consumers and space fares, and we're space consumers. It's a really interesting perspective. At this point, let me just ask you, do you feel like are enough CIOs thinking about this, especially thinking about it in this way? I think that's a question that every CIO needs to ask themselves because different people are seeing different parts of the elephant. Some folks are looking at the application of space tech from the data transmission perspective, right? From a bandwidth perspective, from a risk mitigation of terrestrial networks. Others and this is, I think, where CIOs can lean in more, is the application of space tech to transform the business, right? So it's beyond the data and the network and the application in the business of your organization. The boundaries of technology and space and non-tech space are blurring, right? Whether it's telephone services or download speeds, latency of data computing, launch vehicles, infrastructure, data analytics. I mean, everything is starting to have a component of space tech in it. I think that's where CIOs have the opportunity to, you know, help lead the organization, provide that insight more than we just haven't had to do in the past. Yeah, and I like that you mentioned the space tech too, because I think that's a, a good thread to pull on. So what, so what are some of those cutting edge technologies that may have only been used previously in space exploration, but now are being used in sort of standard enterprise data center, edge computing environments that people don't even realize? Like, hey, look, this was developed to send people to space, and now we're just using it in cell phones and data centers. What what are some examples of those? And maybe some that they don't realize they're using and also some that may be inspiring them to, to actually use them if they're not. So my favorite application of space tech is, of course, frozen ice cream. Oh, this is great. This is going to be good. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, but, but, you know, if you think about frozen ice cream, right, that was developed for astronauts. So, you know, if you think of things as 
prosaic as even foam mattresses or power tools or Bowflex, which actually was developed as a partnership because, you know, biotechnologists were trying to test osteoporosis treatments on mice and microgravity to help astronauts. And, you know, again, all of that technology helped Bowflex. I like the Bowflex one, yeah, because you can't really lift weights like in space. The barbells don't really help you at all, do they? But resistance still exists. The physics of resistance still exists in, in, in microgravity. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. So, we, you know, so there's some very practical, useful applications that are visible to all of us. We probably just didn't realize that, you know, those are outcomes of space tech. I think in terms of the technological aspects that CIOs or tech organizations can really look at, there's so much happening with the application of AI on data sets. You can look at orbit prediction, object detection, uh, which applies to, you know, transportation companies or supply chain organizations, looking at telemetry data, looking at anomaly detection, even edge computing. So there's there's a lot of different areas where some of this technology can transform how work is done. And more importantly, how businesses are accessing, you know, their supply chain, their value chains beyond just data transmission and network capabilities. No, that, that all makes sense. And, and this, you bring up a couple different things in your description, and that's some of the technology challenges that sort of space exploration, telecommunications companies have found when trying to get payloads from the Earth into space and have them function with terrestrial networks. What are some of those challenges involved in that sort of space travel, space faring, and space consumption that mirror some of those challenges that technology leaders here here on the ground? What can they take away from how those challenges have been solved by those who, who are working in that space environment? I've found in my in my in my work with CIOs and tech organizations that there are really three areas where I can see parallels, right? And everything it takes to get something off the ground, it launched into space, functioning, operating safely, ethically, and then you know sending down data or bringing back people, you know everything to make that work, right? One is the ecosystem where we really have to understand the influence technology has and space tech has, and how CIOs and organizations can manage the ecosystem to ensure that we're developing work ethically, mitigating risk, minimizing misuse. The second is around the ways of working. The upgrade parallel is the democratization of space and space tech. Similarly, you know, have parallels in how we build lean processes in organizations having governance that mitigates administrative burden, provides agility to organizations. And then the third is you're around the individual and how engineering and technology is really a craft that needs to be nurtured and grown by giving people the skills and capabilities you know, that they need, helping them develop themselves, developing standards and really establishing data and knowledge sharing mechanisms. So all of those things that we see are so critical in developing space tech, making it effective and making it useful also definitely apply to how we operate our tech organizations here on the earth. Yeah, I like that, that how you brought up the way to work too, because that is a multidisciplinary collaborative approach, especially when someone imagines something like the early days of taking payloads and getting them off the earth and into space and functioning properly and doing that safely and reliably too. How can that collaborative multidisciplinary approach that's used in space or space programs inspired CIOs to break down silos and encourage collaboration across the organization, maybe some practical ways in which you've seen that parallel of changing the way of work that could be applied to technology teams? You know, when you think about everything it takes to work in an off-terrestrial environment, collaboration and trust are so critical. And 
understanding and thinking about the ecosystem as a collaborative, synergistic ecosystem is so important. And I think that is very true for our technology organizations as well. We really have to look at the ecosystem of customers, developers, alliance partners, vendors as an ecosystem that really has to be based on trust. Now, in space, we have to build more of this. And I write about this in my book, but the whole idea of thinking about space as global commons that we own together and that we operate as a unified ecosystem, right? So I think that principle, which is so important in space, which we need to actively work toward, is very critical in tech organizations. And we're definitely seeing applications of that, right? A lot of the the work we're seeing with agile organizations where you have multidisciplinary teams coming together, doing iterative development, looking at things holistically, and not waiting for completion, but looking at ongoing improvement are all examples of where I think those things parallel. The other aspect of it is when we look at how tech organizations have to operate, we're increasingly seeing that technology is getting democratized. It's becoming a a level playing field to a certain extent because it's more accessible. The differences in success and failure are based on how individuals apply technology, how ethically they use it, how logically they're looking at the outputs or the data sets. And I think, again, you know, that is so critical in, in, the, in the space arena. And we are definitely seeing all of that play out in our tech organizations as well. I think that's, that's fascinating. I mean, the whole thing that's fascinating to me, especially the ethical operation in space. I've had several conversations with people on the podcast with regards to the new definition of sustainable business. And it's not just the ESG piece, but it's also, is that technology being used for the betterment of people in a democratized way? Is that being evenly distributed? And there is definitely, of course, an environmental concern when you're looking at the commons, as you mentioned, the space is, is a commons. And if you're, if you and I, you know, Elizabeth are putting up our own satellites, we have to think about what is the impact of us putting a satellite into space? Am I operating in an ethical manner? Does it make sense for me to run data center workloads or edge workloads in a rig, you know, floating over the the planet? Is that something that is ethical to do? There's another, a part of the show usually where we transition into what we call take it to the board, because I think there's an important question that CIOs might be asking is like, well, if you could give a CIO one piece of advice based on lesson learned from space exploration that they could then have a e-staff conversation with or a board level conversation with inspiring the members of their board or the members of their leadership to say, look at, here's the way that space teams are doing this. This is the way that we should operate as an organization, whether it's operating as a space company or just be inspired by those companies that do operate as space companies, what piece or sort of pieces of advice would you give them for that that board level conversation? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question, right? And it harkens to the the heart of the matter, in which is how do you apply those principles to fuel what your organization needs to do or can do, what the potential is, and I think it really distills down into maybe three things, which are actually, interestingly, not related to technology, but more related to how people use technology. It's interesting. I think the first part of it is um, the learning aspect of it. You know, how are we creating a culture or an organization that creates a muscle around learning? And the reason for that is, if you want to apply space tech, you have to lean into learning how your business might be transformed actively, not passively, right? You have to proactively lead into that. And does curiosity play a part in that? 
absolutely, you know, curiosity and humility, because we don't really know what we don't know. And I think this is, again, just at the heart of every scientific endeavor. It comes from being humble and knowing that what we know is a fraction of what is left to be known. Till the 1960s, we thought there were two kingdoms, plants and animals, right? It's only much later in 1998 that we really understood quite clearly that fungi are a whole different kingdom, right? And also that, like, from a space perspective, there has to be a lot of humility when there's individuals who are trying to do something like put humans on a planet or on the moon that's orbiting our planet and then bring them back safely. And no one had ever done that before. And being able to be okay is to say, look, at we're, no one's done this before. We're going to try and do it. There has to be some humility and at the same time, curiosity and learning, a ton of learning. Because I imagine they, they accomplished that with probably less computing power than I have on my phone right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Exactly, right? It's, it's mind-boggling when you think about it, right? And, and with that curiosity and humility, because those two really are intertwined, right? You want to learn. I think come with two other aspects. So, you know, one is the aspect of psychological safety, right? Because as you just mentioned, right? getting people off the earth or getting a satellite off the earth, making sure it doesn't crash and satellites do fall out of the sky. They do. But the risk mitigation that has to go into ensuring that, those are the guardrails. And when you have good guardrails and standards, that's when you can allow actually innovation to flourish. So guardrails don't stifle innovation, but when they're clear and they're communicated clearly, they provide safety. They provide safety in economies. They provide safety in organizations. With that comes the safety that comes out of that. And then, you know, there's the aspect of really ethical use of technology and defining what that means. Um, so it's clear for developers, especially, you know, with the rise of Gen AI and the, the rise of cybersecurity risks, the human element remains even more important. So the conversation at the board level is... It is about how do we transform our business, looking at space tech and what it can do for us. But how do we do that? Because that is where the rubber hits the road, right? And you can do that if you help people learn, if you have people are curious, if you provide guardrails and risk mitigation strategies, and you provide a very clear ethical compass around how you use technology in organizations and outside of it. I like that you uh, and, and the ethical framework. I think that's important. And I think that's maybe lost a lot of times in the conversation we're talking about the bottom line. So what gives you hope that the next frontier of transformative innovation for business and technology will be inspired by today's space exploration? Do you see people being inspired by ex space exploration? Do you see it driving future innovation? Absolutely, absolutely. For those who can't see, because you're just listening to this, Elizabeth has a huge smile on her face right now. She's very <laughs> excited about this. <laughs> I, and, you know, I have to be honest, this is actually probably the area that gives me the most optimism, right? Because the one, people are very inspired. They're excited by it. They're excited by, you know, exploration. It, I think, caters to our instinctive desire to seek, right? To be a curious, sentient being. So we all want to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. So definitely seeing a lot of that. I think the second part of it is just the numbers around 
the potential of space exploration. So we have about, what, 8 billion people on our planet today. And by 2050, we'll be about 9.7 billion, right? And all our potential as a global human community has, much of it has come from the organized sector, right? A couple of data points to just keep in mind. A big chunk of this growth from our, you know, 8 to 9.7 billion will come from about eight countries, including, you know, Congo, Egypt, India, Ethiopia, etc. And all of those countries, as they develop and accelerate and harness technology, that's going to accelerate our progress as a, as a global community. The, the other thing that's going to happen with the democratization of tech and space tech is the shift between the formal and the informal sector. So, you know, in Africa, about 86% is in the informal sector. In Asia, about 68% of the 4.7 billion is in the informal sector. So, And what do you mean by informal and formal? It would be less related to, you know, corporate jobs, organized jobs. Uh, it'd be a mix of subsistence farming or foraging. Agriculture in many countries is not formal the way it might be in the more developed or in the Western hemisphere. So the global south, as it's called, that shift of the formal sector, more of learning, access to opportunity, will really fuel a lot of this. And with that is the cost arbitrage of space tech. And, you know, I just have to put these numbers out there because it's a great reminder for us in terms of what's happening, right? If you just reflect on the cost of space tech or the space economy, if you folks recall, right, the movie Gravity took about 90 million to make. Oh, yes. Sandra Bullock. Sarah Bullock, right? George, George Clooney, Clooney yes. definitely, you know. <laughs> Lots of microgravity in that movie. <laughs> That's right. Lots of microgravity, right? So it cost about 90 million. And I believe the movie Avatar cost about 400 million to make. And, you know, the cost of the Indian Mars mission was about 73 million. That puts it in a good perspective. Right? Yeah. So the cost arbitrage of space is on the rise. And that's that's a good thing because it's just going to make things more easy, less expensive, more accessible to more people. So, Elizabeth, you're saying if Netflix gets into space travel, that could fuel quite a lot of space programs. They have a multi-billion dollar, you know, revenue country. <laughs> so they could they could put some of that content creation into SpaceX or maybe combine the two. I think we've got something here. I wanted to end... On one really interesting quote that I got, I was reading something written by Ethan Mollick. And Ethan Mollick, for those who don't know, he's an associate professor at the Wharton School of University of Pennsylvania. He's a big AI thought leader. So he's at the forefront of the, the latest GPT models, all the great AI tools, Dolly, et cetera. But what he did, he created this wonderful space analogy. I thought it was appropriate for this. And he said, companies right now are making decisions on what type of technology that they are going to bet on. And he said, if you were going to go to Mars or you're going to do on a space mission, if you pick the wrong technology, you could be literally passed by another spaceship that started 50 or even 100 years before you if you're going further, like outside the galaxy. What do you think about that analogy of picking the right technology so that you're not passed up, you know, in 10 or 15 years on your space mission by another company that launched 10 years earlier than you but can pass you up in space because they made a different choice? My view on that is that that's inevitable. People will get passed in space. It's just going to happen. Yes, that, that is true, just like on the highway. However, I think the strategy is less about 
making a deterministic choice that you're, you know, anchored to, right? And that's your only bet. But leaning into the, you know, the understanding of the ongoing emergence of technology and the potential. So you can't make that one bet because you might make the wrong bet or, you know, it might be superseded or improved by better technology that comes after. So the key is not about worrying about which technology you're betting on, but to be constantly leaning into understanding the emergence and the potential of new technologies and the application of it. And I think that's really important because sometimes we also get hung up in, okay, thinking about, okay, this technology is so great, right? Um, And I think we've seen this with a number of technological developments. I won't name, but, you know, we've seen fads come and go, right? Um, I think what's more important is the diligence to understand the application of that technology and how that can be operationalized and democratized. Because the technologies that are going to sustain us and fuel that fastest spaceship, you know, is the one that can be improved by more people, that can be understood by more people and be used by more people. Because that's when you can actually, you know, get the power of multiple minds looking and harnessing it. No, that's fabulous. This this has been a fascinating conversation. I wish I could dig deeper into this, but I think we're going to wrap it up with how can people find you out there on the internet and find out more about you, find you in space or wherever you are? Yes. Well, I live in New York City, so, you know, still terrestrial. Oh, there you go. So you live on on Earth. I live on Earth. Yes, yes, yes. But, you know, I I do have a website, lisbethvergis.com and, uh, you know, also LinkedIn. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to hearing from folks. Excellent. Well, thank you, Elizabeth, for joining me on the CIO Exchange podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Eddie. This was so much fun. Thank you for listening to this latest episode. Please consider subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more insights from technology leaders, as well as global research on key topics, visit vmware.com slash CIO.